Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, it is Mother's Day. And uh, I thought, in honor of moms everywhere, that um, we would just kind of start out by acknowledging all those pearls of wisdom um, that our moms gave us. Uh, They are affectionately known as momalies. You've probably heard some of these things like, I'm only doing this for your own good. Or, you must think rules were made to be broken. Or, don't sit too close to the TV. It's going to ruin your eyes. And then, of course, there were these that I think everybody heard. In fact, that you could probably finish the sentence. Okay, let's see if you recognize any of these. Two wrongs don't. See? If you can't say anything nice. If you can dish it out, you better be able to take it. Don't start anything you don't plan to finish. Yes. If anything is worth doing, worth doing well. Be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Yeah. Now, my mom had a few others that she used to say, and maybe your mom said these things too. And these were the ones I just, I really didn't quite understand. Like, you know, I would want to go do things with my friends, and all my friends were doing it. My mom wouldn't let me do it. And she would say things like, if all your friends jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge, does that mean you would jump too? And I thought, we just want to go to the movies. (laughs) Nobody's jumping off bridges. You know, of course not. That's dumb. And my mom used to say this one. Did your mom say this one? You attract more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Who wants to attract flies? I, you know, it's... Or this one. You've made your bed. Now you have to lie in it. If I just made my bed, why would I want to lie in it? I finally got it made. I don't want to mess it up again. <laughs> you know, there are all these things. And you, you probably heard others. And, and um, some, here, there's some of mom's favorites. Someday, you will have kids of your own. <laughs> and then you will understand... Or the corollary to that is the curse, the mom's curse. Someday, I hope you have a child just like you. (laughs) In one of my mom's favorites, actions speak louder than words. And maybe you've heard some of those. And uh, in this series, um, what we're talking about is, is God's instructions for life. And some of those sayings of mom, you know, why did your mom say them? Because her mom said them to her, you know. <laughs> but because generation after generation, year in and year out, those, those kinds of things just remain true. They're the things that kind of ended up guiding your behavior and your decision making and actually prepared you for life. In this series that we're in, um, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, um, is Jesus' guideline for life. He's telling us this is how God designed life to live. And there's a great danger here, that I, and I want to make sure we, we understand this. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, understand... This is one full thought all the way through. It it was a talk Jesus gave. It is not a bunch of random sayings that were just thrown together like mamalies, okay? This was a coherent, thought-out, spoken-out sermon. And in it, what Jesus was doing was giving us a real direction for life. And you see, if you don't understand that, if you don't approach the Sermon on the Mount with that understanding, you will be left with all kinds of guilt. And you'll be feeling like, these are impossibilities. I can't live up to that. And even some would say, these are just ridiculous. 
Because Jesus says things like, if your hand offends, you cut it off. If your eye offends, you pluck it up. Now, Jesus is not advocating you know, self-mutilation, okay? Those are ridiculous things if you don't understand that they fit in the context of this whole talk that he was giving. And that's why I gave you homework last week. And I won't ask you this week, but next week I'm going to, to read through the whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Just sit down and read all the way through it at least once this week so you get a sense of the continuity of thought and where Jesus is going with all of this. It'll take you maybe a half an hour if you read through thoughtfully. Maybe a little bit longer, but you could probably do it in a half an hour. And in fact, in our community groups, we're going along with this whole series. We're studying along with that. And if you're not in a community group, you might want to get in one, especially during this series. It's a great time to get involved because you'll be able to kind of dig in and, and look at these things as we go through them together. But the idea is this. It is a whole unit. And although we don't have the time on any one given Sunday morning to go through the whole thing, we're going to study it section by section. It is a whole unit, okay? In fact, as we, were, as we originally divided up the series and what passages we were going to cover each week, um, actually, this week was going to fall on, you have heard it said, do not murder. And we thought, that's probably not the good one for Mother's Day. Although some moms might feel that way sometimes. We're not going to go there. Uh, so instead, what we're going to look at is Matthew 5, 17 through 20. And it's a continuation of the th- thought from last week. Uh, and he says this, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. These are not random sayings. Jesus is saying, this is understanding for life. This is all about living in God's kingdom. This is life as God designed it. It is life lived from the core. And what he is doing in this sermon is he's clearing up some of the confusion and correcting some of the conventional wisdom, the prevailing thought that had been the case with regard to God's kingdom. And he's saying, no, it's not like that at all. It's not like that at all. And so you need to understand his teaching. You need to understand what it is that Jesus is teaching. And in fact, his method of teaching. And one thing you need to understand is Jesus taught for transformation, not just information. He taught so that lives would be changed. He said our lives are to make a difference in this world. We looked at this last week. He said you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are strategically set like a city on a hill. You're like a lamp that is put on the lampstand to give light to the whole, to the whole room. You are blessed to be a blessing. All of those pronouncements of the Beatitudes, Jesus was saying is the kingdom of heaven is now thrown wide open. The gates are wide open. It is wide open to the spiritual zeros. It is wide open to the broken. It is wide open to the meek. It is wide open to the hungry. It is wide open to the hurting. It is wide open to anybody who will follow. And God has blessed you with this, but he has blessed you to be a blessing in a broken and hurting and fallen apart world. And you need to understand that because sometimes, often I, often I have heard the Sermon on the Mount taught as if it's all about discipleship. 
that it's all about how to be right with God, how to grow. But that's not it. This sentence that we looked at last week, that is the hinge point of the whole message. The whole message is you are blessed to be a blessing. This is not about you. This is about how you will be a blessing in this world. And so often, I think, we practice such a selfish, selfish form of discipleship because we think discipleship is all about me and my relationship with God and how well I'm doing and how much I'm growing. And that is not the point. Jesus said, you're where you are to be light. You're where you are to be salt, to be a preserving influence to bring light about God's kingdom. Discipleship and evangelism are not two separate aspects of the Christian life. They are one in the same. I grow and I learn and I follow Jesus so that I can help others grow and learn and follow Jesus. And you've got to understand that. This is the whole sermon. It all hangs together. And the hinge point is you are salt and you are light. You are here for a purpose and your purpose is your purpose is to bring the kingdom of God to those around you. That, your, that the people around you should, should see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. They should make the connection between more than this. This is a good person to this. This person's life is transformed. I want to find out how. How does that kind of transformation really, really happen? And people who don't make that connection, Christians who don't make that connection, connection lose their purpose in this world my wife works for the school district and just this week she got this a, a cc a, a carbon copy email of of an email that had been sent to one of the teachers about one of the principals to the superintendent of schools and 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 it just went on and on it was just excoriating just how horrible this principal is and blah 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 blah, blah and this the student in the school that should be expelled and just on and there's like it just went on and on and on, just filled with all kind of vitriol. And then the tagline on their signature was, after they signed their name, you know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. <laughs> that is not what he gives you strength to do. <laughs> to be a jerk. <laughs> Jesus is saying, if we are going to be salt and light in this world, it's going to take a different kind of person. It's going to take a different kind of person. And the rest of the sermon... The rest of the sermon is he is giving concrete examples of what that life looks like. What transformed living looks like. What the fulfillment of God's purposes looks like. That's why he said, do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. There is a fulfilled life. There is a transformed life. But it's not what these other guys are teaching you. You see, we have this idea of instruction. We have this idea of education. Um, it's what Dallas Willard calls the jug to the mug model. You know? We think that the way that you educate people is you have a wealth of information in a jug and you pour it into their mugs and they learn the, they learn the information and if they can regurgitate it back on a test in any coherent way, they've got it. And that is not how Jesus taught. That is not. He didn't just pour information into people's brains. Let me read to you. The, from the Divine Conspiracy. Wonderful book. It's available at our resource desk. I highly encourage it. If you want to understand the Sermon on the Mount, read this book. He writes this. In our day, learners usually think of themselves as containers of some sort with a purely passive space to be filled up with the information the teacher possesses and wishes to transfer from the jug to the mug model. The teacher is to fill in empty parts of the receptacle with, quote, truth. 
that they may or, or may not later make some di- not excuse me, that may or may not later make some difference to the life of the one who has it. The teacher must get the information into them. Then we test the patients to see if they got it by checking whether they can reproduce it in a language rather than watching how they live. Of course, information relevant to real, uh, to real need has always been prized, but to want to simply know stuff, such as we usually get today out of high school and college education, would have been thought laughable, if it would have been thought at all. Trivial pursuits certainly never would have been caught on as, big, as a game back then. The teacher in Jesus' time, especially religious teachers, taught in such a way that he would impact the life flow of the hearer, leaving a lasting impression without the benefit of notes, recorders, or even memorization. Whatever did not make a difference in the way they lived just made no difference, period. See, Jesus taught for transformation because you you can get all the right answers by accident. Anybody ever take a Scantron test? (laughs) True, false? You got a 50-50 shot at it. True, false? You don't have to know any of the material. You got a 50-50 shot at getting those answers right. You don't even have to know the information. You see, you can get right answers by accident. But Jesus' aim, Jesus' aim was to transform right answers into living rightly. It's not just about the information. Because you see, I know a lot of Christians, and you probably do too, a lot of Christians in a lot of churches with a lot of knowledge without transformed lives. Some in our own church family, (laughs) believe it or not. We've been talking about this gap. And the gap, the gap is the knowing, doing gap. It's not that we don't know what we're supposed to do. It's that we don't do it. That's the gap. And the trouble is that when I learn and when I know, I start giving myself credit for doing. In my own brain, if I understand the material... If I think I could teach about it, then the automatic assumption is I'm doing this. And every one of us have the same assumption. And every one of us, if we would really look at our own lives, would realize, whoa, there is a knowing doing gap here. And Jesus came to bridge that gap. That's why he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. In another place, he said to his followers, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If you do them. And so I want our prayer as a church to be as we go through this series. And this week, as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, and you will read through the Sermon on the Mount, right? <laughs> yes, you all, I know you all will, because you really do want to change, don't you? As you read through it, Just make this your prayer, Lord. Make me a doer. Make me a doer. Make us as a church doers of the word because there's a great, great danger in being knowers and not doers. Jesus taught for transformation. He wanted lives to be changed. Knowledge is vital to that. Don't get me wrong. You need to know. And we have a dearth of biblical knowledge in our culture. We have a dearth of biblical knowledge in our churches. You need to know. Don't get me wrong. I am not saying you don't need to know. Knowledge is vital, but is the means to an end. And the end, the end, is life change. And life change 
is about character, not conformity. See, Jesus didn't disagree with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law about the importance of obedience. He didn't disagree with them one bit on that. In fact, he said, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. It wasn't that they loved the law and Jesus didn't. It wasn't that they cared more about the law than than Jesus. That's not the case. In fact, Jesus said, not the least stroke of the pen. Breaking the least of these commandments makes you least in the kingdom. Obedience is important, but not the way these guys are teaching it. Because the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would teach about the importance of the law, but it was all about rule keeping. And so the law said, honor the Sabbath on the Sabbath day. On the seventh day, you shall not work. You shall honor the Sabbath. It is a day of rest, and you shall rest. And so all the scribes and Pharisees had to get together and figure out, well, what constitutes rest and what constitutes work? How many steps can you take? How far can you walk without it being work? A thousand yards. That's what they decided. You couldn't venture from your home more than 1,000 yards. But, you know, if you happen to leave some of your clothing at a friend's house 1,000 yards away because you've established a home there a little bit by leaving your stuff there, you could go to their house and then go another 1,000 yards from there. That's how they did it. How far can I walk? 1,000 yards. How many, how much can I write? One word. One word. How much food can I take from storage to cook? One handful. One mouthful. They were good at the minutia of the law. And what they were doing was they were establishing boundary markers. John Ortberg writes about this in his book. They are highly visible, relatively superficial practices that help distinguish between those who are on the inside and who are on the outside. And that's how they taught the law. The emphasis on all these outward manifestations was to be able to distinguish who's obeying the law and who is not because we have to keep track. And this, this is where Jesus parted company because it's not about conformity. It's about character. Jesus focused on the heart. And that's what we're going to see as we go through this in the weeks ahead. All of those things that he talks about, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he is shifting the focus from the externals back to the internal, which is where it begins. And, And they all knew that. Really, they knew that. Jesus was asked by one of the teachers of the law, what is the greatest commandment? And he turned right back around and said, what do you say it is? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you got it. Trouble was, how good were the Pharisees at rule keeping? They were really, really good. How good were they at loving? Not so much. They didn't like the people Jesus hung around with, much less loved them. Jesus knew human nature like no other. And he understood, which I think deep down we all really understand, no amount of rules or regulations is ever going to change the heart. Because you see, you can keep the rules and still be angry. You can keep the rules and still harbor bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. You can keep the rules and still carry lust in your heart. You see? 
That's why you can't focus just on the externals. You can do all these things keeping the rules, but what Jesus was concerned about was the heart. And in this way, in this way, he is a lot like your mother. That is the difference between your mother and your high school history teacher. Because all your high school history teacher wanted to know was, could you repeat the information on a test? What your mom cared about was your character, the person you become. You could flunk your history test and she would still love you. (laughs) Because she cared about the person you were becoming. And your mom knew human nature almost as good as Jesus. Almost as good. My daughter, when she was in her teenage years, because every daughter in their teenage years has this problem with their mom. And, and I, it would be, it was, I would almost laugh on, on the inside. I, not on the outside. I would get healed, killed for them. <laughs> but, you know, they would have this discussion, and, and, and mom would lay down the law, and, and our daughter would turn and walk away, and, and Betty would say, don't you roll your eyes at me. She had turned away. She wasn't even looking. But mom knew. <laughs> Mom knew, because mom knows the heart. (laughs) That's what Jesus wanted to get at. That's what he wanted to get at. Because you see, wrong action and wrong behavior are only a symptom. They are only a symptom. And Jesus wanted to get to the source. And that's why he said to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, things like, first clean the inside of the cup, And then the outside will also be clean. Now, those of you who grew up with dishwashers, you don't understand this parable at all, okay? But back in the day, (laughs) when I was your age, no. um, You know, that was part of our chores was washing and drying, you know? And it was like, who gets to wash and who gets to dry? And, you know, it was kind of a debate as to which one was more fun than the other. Actually, neither one of them were fun. But here's the deal. You can wash the outside of the cup without touching the inside at all. But try washing the inside of the cup without having any effect on the outside. You can't do it. Because as you got the rag down in there and you're on the inside, it's also wrapping around the outside and it's wiping the outside too. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you concentrate on the inside, the outside will take care of itself. And the problem with externals is it gets us a good dose of religious respectability. But it doesn't change our hearts. And that's what Jesus kept speaking about. That's why later on in the sermon, he warned his disciples, be careful, do not do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. And then he went down the list. When you pray, when you fast, when you, all the way down the list. And he kept saying, that's what the hypocrites do. And they get their reward. They get to be seen by men. But he says, I'm concerned about the inside. Now, wait a minute. Didn't you say Jesus just said, let your light shine so all men may see? Here's the difference. Here's the difference. The Pharisees wanted to be seen by men for their own reputation. Jesus said that your light would so shine that they would see your good works and what? Praise your Father in heaven. It's not about you. Yes, you need to change your life. Yes, your life needs transformation. It needs transformation from the inside out. And that's a process. And you've got to live that out in front of everybody. Not that you're perfect, but let people see the process. Let them see the struggles. Let them know that you don't plan on being perfect and you don't expect anybody else to be perfect, but you do know the grace of your Father. 
and that as you are being transformed from the inside out, let it show. Not as a show, just as the natural outgrowth of your life with God. And they will see, and they will make the connection. Oh, there's something about this person. It's not just that he's a good guy. It's not just that they're a nice lady. There's something different on the inside. That's what he's concerned about. Not that we conform to externals, but that our character has changed. Transformed character. Now, does, it does include obedience. Obedience is a big, big part of it. And for this, I am grateful for Dallas Willard because he just put it so well. He put it this way. Obedience is not the source, but it is the course of righteousness. Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I used to read this, and I used to think, man, he is setting the bar way up there. How am I going to be more righteous than the Pharisees? And all of his hearers, I'm sure, thought the same thing, because they looked at these guys, and they just thought, man, who's more righteous than them? And they may not have it right, but at least they are trying. (laughs) I'm not even trying. Man, he is setting the bar so up there. How can I possibly live up to that? You need to understand what he was doing was setting the bar really, really low. Because what he was saying was, don't settle for contrived religious respectability. Don't try to beat them at their own game. Don't even play that game. Live rightly. Living rightly does matter. Obedience does matter. It does. And sometimes I think we are, we are guilty of using grace as an excuse for laziness. Or we use grace for, as an excuse for our indifference. Or even our defiance. We bristle at the word obey. Nobody's going to make me obey. I got my own little kingdom going on here. Who do you think you are, God? I'm going to shake my puny little fist at you. Nobody's going to make me obey. Which used to be part of the wedding ceremony. I don't do that one anymore. <laughs> okay, don't even come after me with that one, all right? <laughs> we bristle at that word because that means somebody else is in control. Somebody else gets to say what I have to do. And I don't like that because I'm an American. I get to vote on what I want to do. Uh-uh. Because life in the kingdom is surrendering your will to the king. Obey, but obey as God intended you to obey. Your actions and your behavior, he says, they don't come out of nowhere. They don't come out of nowhere. You ever done something or said something? You go, wow, where did that come from? (laughs) Right inside you. That's where it came from. In fact, Jesus said, our actions and our behavior are really reliable indicators of what's really going on in the heart. You want to know what's going on between the no-do thing? Yeah, look at your actions. Look at what you're doing. It'll tell you what you really know. He said, no tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. If you come over to my house and I got a lemon tree in my backyard and you look at that and you say, what a nice apple tree, I would look at you like you are some kind of moron. It's a lemon tree. It's got lemons on it. See? Lemons. Lemon tree. That's what Jesus is saying. It's that simple. 
It's that simple. The good man brings good things out of the good what? Say it with me. He brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. You don't think you believe that. So try it again. The good man, the good man does good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Yeah. Because you see, ultimately, ultimately, obedience is a matter of belief. You act out of the core of your being. To believe something, to believe something, to really believe something is to behave and to act as if it really is so. You understand that? To really believe it is to act and behave in such a way that it really is the truth. That it really is so. Let me give you one more example from a family. There were rules in my home growing up. My mom and my dad had certain household rules. You broke the rules, you got a spanking. Broke the rules, you got sent to bed without your dinner. You broke the rules, you stood in the corner. Whatever it was. Now, they didn't just make up these rules to see how miserable they could make Ken's life be. (laughs) These were life rules. It was their rule of life. This is how we live our life in the Jensen household. If you are a Jensen, this is how you live. Because this is how Jensen's live. I didn't like all their rules. Some of them I thought were really, really stupid. But you know what? About 99.5% of them are my own rule of life. You know why? Because obedience comes from the core. I live the life I live because I believe it really is so. And these are no longer my... My dad is not going to give me a spanking. I guarantee you. But I will keep those rules and I will obey those rules because they are my own. They are my own life rules. And that's the idea. That's what Jesus is getting at here. If you really believe it, you will live it. And the change doesn't happen by trying to live it without believing it. The change happens when you believe it at the core of your being. Because then the rest of your life lives that way out. And when your belief belief is so rooted and so foundational to who you are, then, he says, then you have the character to stand up to anything. And he ended his sermon with that. So we're going to skip to the closing. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine, and puts them into practice, will be like a man who built his house on a rock. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 